Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to share um, this story, um, the story of Elijah, with us. Um, and we pray, Lord, that we would really learn something about you this morning. Um, and I pray, Father, that you would um, search my heart and know me, like your scriptures say, um, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I pray that for everyone listening, too, that you would lead us in your mighty name. Amen. So we've been talking about Elijah, um, and James reminds us that Elijah is a man just like us. So really, his experience should really be very relatable to us. And I trust as we explore this, this one portion of his, his journey, um, we might grasp how the Lord relates to us. Um, now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Helen. I'm very privileged to be part of the leadership team here in um, in Life Church, um, I've also remember from being very young learning about this particular story in the, in Sunday school. So I've been a Christian a long time, reading the Bible for a long time. Um, so I hope that my, some of my reflections will be useful for you. Um, and secondly, uh, finally, I am currently a full time parent. Now, full time parenting can be quite a journey um, and. A, uh, a challenge at times. And this week has been particularly challenging. Both my boys are ill. And so when you've got sick children, they just take a lot of your energy. Um, and on Monday night, um, poor little John, he, he woke up screaming. And you think, oh, my boy. Um, and he's saying he's got a sore ear. And he's oh, what, what am I going to do to help him with his sore ear? So I figured the best thing to do would be get into bed with him Give him a bit of medicine, and hopefully that, that'll, that'll help him sleep. Um, I don't know whether any of you have shared a bed with a three-year-old. Three-year-olds aren't particularly um, still and calm sleepers. Um, halfway in the night, I kind of wished I'd cut his toenails um, earlier that week, because, yeah, he was ripping me to shreds. Um, and little, needless to say, I, I slept for about two hours that night. And so the next day was really hard. I was tired. Um, I'd slept very little. I had whingy boys, because when they're sick, they, 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 mommy, mommy, mommy. And you're just like, oh, just go away for a little bit and give me a bit of quiet. <laughs> but then you can't be upset with them, because they're legitimately ill and, and sad. And it's just hard. And so when it came to about 4 o'clock that afternoon, I was thinking, oh, I've got to prepare the tea, and I'm just tired. And Gary came, came home and said, I'll get a chippy. Oh. Oh, the relief of that moment of like, I don't have to worry about the tea. And he said, I'll take the boys with me. And I'm like, oh, this is, I'm so glad I married you. And I was, I was so relieved, so relieved in that moment because I was tired, I was exhausted, I was hungry too, and he just sorted it. And God did this for Elijah. So let's, let's go dig into the scriptures. Um, and uh, let, me, let me read first. First Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. 
and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So this is the prophets of Baal after the showdown at, on, on Mount Carmel. <clears throat> so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, i.e. I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with, with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain and in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mahoah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. It's a remarkable story. Remarkable. Now let's just remind ourselves what has happened just before this. 
about four years earlier, Elijah had, sorry, Elijah had a word for Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time. Um, and he said it wouldn't rain. And the reason Elijah had that message was because Ahab was, in the sight of God, a very poor king. He was a bad king because he didn't know how to serve God. He didn't love God. He served the Baals, and he married Jezebel, who was a Sidonian, exactly what the Lord commanded kings should not do, Israelites should not do at all. And even though Ahab, in a secular sense, was a very powerful and, and um, good, good king for, for the Israelite nation, in the sight of God, his heart was not good. And his heart was leading his people astray. And that was what was important. So God was going to bring judgment over Ahab. And this was, this was his way. He says, it's not going to rain. So Elijah took this message. And that message was not a popular message. So basically, Elijah became a, a fugitive, an exile. So four years, he's been away from home. He hasn't seen his family. He's been living in the wilderness. He was fed by ravens. And then when the, the brook ran out in the wilderness, he went to um, Zarephath, which is actually where Jezebel came from, which is outside of, of Israel. He's been running away for, from Ahab for, for four years. And finally, Ahab, uh, finally, the Lord says to Elijah, go tell Ahab um, it's going to rain. So Elijah gets up and thinks, ha, this is the opportunity. I'm going to go home. I'm going to show everybody that God is, 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 is God, and we're going to sort out this Baal thing so that all of this is done. And he has this amazing showdown, and um, Ethan really uh, took us through it last week. It was brilliant. Um, and uh, please do listen to that on the podcast. It was good. Um, and interestingly, um, the the prophets of or the the priests of Baal typically would have a secret compartment under their altars where they would light their their sacrifice on fire. So this idea that that suddenly there was fire on the altar was perhaps not something that the Israelites um, hadn't seen before, um, but. Elijah made them do it on a mountaintop and build the altar so there's no time to build a secret compartment to light a fire. And so when God came down, Elijah was like, choose, this is God. And what happened? The people said, yes, this is God. And then they killed all the prophets of Baal. And Elijah must have said, ah, oh, victory. We've sorted it out. Israel will now serve God just like they should have been doing all along. And then the beginning of chapter 19 that we've just read, Ahab tells Jezebel, and Jezebel goes, I'm going to get you. And sometimes we think that if we show people the whole idea that seeing is believing, if we show people that God exists, a miracle, a sign, they will suddenly Turn to God. That doesn't always work out that way. Jezebel was very heavily invested in Baal worship. There was many things that tying her to that. She's not just going to go, 
yeah, it's fine. We'll all serve God now. No, no. She's heavily invested. So even though the evidence is staring her right in the face, her heart has not changed. And just picture being Elijah at this moment. He's been away from home for four years. Maybe all he wanted was a hot bath. Maybe he just wanted to give his sister a hug. Maybe he wanted to taste his mom's stew. I don't know how old he was. <laughs> Maybe he was a young man. And so after the Mount Carmel experience, he was looking forward to those things. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs. Because now he's like, <gasps> she's after me too. And he runs because Jezebel, sorry, can we skip forward? Um, Jezebel is, is, is often um, depicted as like a, like a spirit in the, in the face of rationality like the queen of hearts she um, it, it doesn't make any difference off with their heads no, ma no, ma no, no amount of reason is going to change it um, and this makes Elijah so despondent and disillusioned and he, he, he runs, he runs away, he runs really far. Um, and he comes to a place and he says to God, I've had enough. I can't face another four years of this. I don't know how long this is going to take. I've had enough. Take my life. I don't want to live anymore. And life is like that sometimes. You've got highs and lows, and sometimes they come quite close together. And what is God's response in that time of low? Here, Elijah, I've sorted your tea. And then he says something which really struck me. He said, I'll feed you again because the journey is too much for you. And sometimes what God has called us to is too much for us on our own. We need His sustaining. We need his food. And God also doesn't underestimate just the practical, physical needs. Elijah was tired, physically tired. He needed to sleep. Elijah was hungry. He needed some bread. I had a friend, he would always keep a, an emergency sandwich in his car because his wife would get hangry. God knows what we need. And so he feeds him. The thing is, the journey is long. Our journey is long. And if we remember that 
Elijah traveled from Mount Carmel, that's way up in the north of Israel, yeah, um, and he ran in front of um, King Ahab's chariot, which was almost 20 miles to, to Jezreel, which was quite miraculous. Then he hears that Jezebel wants to kill him, and he goes all the way down to Beersheba. You probably can't see it there. Sorry about that. Um, but he, he, he goes as far from Israel, the place where God has called him to be prophet, down into Judah. Now, remember, at this time, um, the Israelite nation has been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom of Judah. Um, and uh, so he's now left where God has called him, and he's run as far as he can from Jezebel. Another thing that's, I think, quite significant is that he, he tells his servant, you stay here, I'm going off on my own. There are times when life is hard and we are scared and we're running and we push our friends away. And so he goes into the wilderness, God feeds him. And then that second meal, it's like Elvin Lambus bread. He went on that food for 40 days and 40 nights. It's kind of ironic, really. He says to God, I, I, I want to die, and then he goes off into the wilderness without food or water for 40 days and 40 nights. A feat that would have killed any ordinary man. But God sustained him. And God took him to a place where he could talk to him. So there's three things about God that I think are really um, characteristic in, in, this, in this story. Just how gentle and compassionate he is. He fed him because he was hungry. But also, when he was coming to talk with him, first there comes this wind that's tearing rocks apart. That is not a safe space to be. You don't want to be out on a hilltop when there's a wind that's tearing rocks apart. That'll kill you. Then there's an earthquake. Don't fancy being in a cave in an earthquake. And then there's a fire. That also might kill you. But God, he, even though he could manifest himself in all of those things, he chose to come to Elijah as a still, small voice. Um, the word still is used three other times in, in the Old Testament. Um, and one of them is in Psalm, I think it's 107. 107 verse 23 to 32. Um, and it basically tells about the wind and the waves on the ocean and how sailors get legitimately scared of a big storm on sea. But then there comes a calm after the storm. And after the storm in Elijah's heart, that disillusionment and disappointment, the suicidal thoughts, his despairing of life, God comes with a stillness. And it reminded me of a time when a Moses had had a huge disappointment. Um, 
he come down the mountain after meeting with God, and there was a golden calf, and the, the, the Israelites had, were, were worshiping a, an idol. Um, and he goes back up the mountain, and he says, God, we can't do this. Show me who you are. And the Lord says this to him. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellious, rebellion and sin. He is first and foremost loving and compassionate. Loving and compassionate. So in your journeys of highs and lows, remember that he's loving and compassionate. And he comes to you with a gentleness of sorting your tea and talking to you quietly. Because those are the things that touch our hearts. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The other thing about God is that he sustains him, and I've, I've labored this point a little bit, that he, he fed Elijah, that he, he gave him exactly what he needs. So that was the physical side of things, but he also gives Elijah something else. He gives Elijah a psychological sustenance. He gives him hope. And he gives him practical instruction. He says to him, go and anoint the king of Aram. Now Aram, at the time, were the enemies of Israel. Um, king Hadad was the current um, Armenian king, and uh, he was in, in, in war with Ahab. And there's, there's just subsequently from this, this chapter, there's a, a big um, conflict between them. Um, and that reminded me of Judges, how the Lord would bring opposition to the Israelites so that they would come back to him. And he used foreign nations to, um, I suppose, to punish them, to bring discipline. And so, Elijah was to anoint the next king of the opposition <laughs> that would bring discipline. He was also to anoint the next king of Israel, which I think, in some sense, is saying, King Ahab's time is coming to an end. His days are numbered. You go and anoint the next king. And finally... He says, go and anoint Elisha as your successor. Sometimes we need to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That our job won't always be our job. That somebody else will take over eventually. But I think God gives him even more in Elijah. I mean, Elisha, sorry. Um, in this, this journey that Elijah's just taken, he left his servants and went off in the wilderness by himself. He pushed his friends away because they listened to him. He said, leave me alone, and they left him alone. Now later, there's a time when Elijah tells Elisha, leave me alone. And Elisha says, 
no, my Lord, I am going to go with you. And I think that happens three or four times. Elijah needed a friend who would stick with him when the going was tough. And God gave him that. The thing with the Lord is that in order to bring us to that place of hope, sometimes he needs to be a little bit relentless. And this is the final thing that I want to touch on about God, is that he pursues us. He is relentless to bring us to a place where we can realize our good. He will go all the way for you. Because Jesus did. He died for us. Now there's a, um, Psalm 23 is the, the good shepherd, or the Lord is my shepherd. And it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that word follow is like when an animal hunts pursuit of prey. <laughs> you are being pursued by the Lord's goodness and mercy all the days of your life. You're not going to get away. And um, God asks Elijah the same question twice. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he wouldn't let it go. Because Elijah was very far from where the Lord wanted him to be. And there's an interesting thing about brain plasticity. And I know this might sound a bit left field. But sometimes we need to work through things in our own mind before we realize certain things. And sometimes we need to tell the story of an event again and again. They talk about um, uh, mental integration. When the, the emotional side of the brain and the, um, the word side of the brain are disconnected. But telling the story allows you to feel those emotions again and connect those two things together and that builds a resilient mind. When we don't tell the story, we have disintegration. And that comes with, um, with mental illness. So Elijah needed to tell the Lord. He needed to say to him what was on his heart. He needed to feel what was on his heart, and say it too. And in that way, the Lord was helping him rewire his brain to be strengthened for the next part of his journey. Because the Lord's instruction to him was, go back the way you came. Your task is not done. Now Jesus has a task for us. And he is our good shepherd. And he is sometimes asking us, where are you?
Where are you? Are you far from where he's called you to be? Are you weary because the journey has been really long? He's still got things for you to do. And he has hope to instill upon you. Because you do not go alone. Because our Lord Jesus, he goes with us. He gave us the spirit of truth who will guide us and reveal more of him to us. Jesus didn't get out of that grave with fireworks. Mary confused him with the gardener. And a gardener is an ordinary, quiet, unassuming fellow. Jesus stands before you, the glorious creator of the universe, more powerful than anything, as a man, a gentle, compassionate man who wants to know you and love you and lead you to places you've never imagined you could be. So, talk to him. Tell him where you're at. Just like Elijah. No holes barred. And he will give you what you need. He will sustain you. The scripture says, he gives us all we need for life and godliness. And if you're not there yet, Jesus will pursue you like that lost lamb. He is relentless. And I hope that gives you hope. Father, we pray for that, um, that you instill in us a sense of hope, that you have control over everything, that when we're tired and weary, you meet us where we're at, and you give us what we need. We love you, Lord. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.